Well, the snow's coming down. I'm I'm watching it fall. Christmas. So speaking of Christmas. Christmas. And watching the snowfall. There's a version of that song by Michael Buble. Yeah. Um, where he has uh, Rebecca Waddingham from Ted Lasso. So this is this is his like new EP that he like dropped like a couple months ago. Um right? she she sings with him, and I have never been more embarrassed for a human than I am of Michael Buble in that song because he sounds compared to her terrible. I had I had read that she had done like UK like West End musicals before. I had never yeah. like searched out a video or like a track of her singing though, so I wasn't I wasn't sure like there was a picture that I saw of her playing like the wicked witch in like I don't think it was wicked. Um I think it was I think it was the Wizard of Oz musical. Her and yeah, her and Michael Blaze Baby Please Come Home is uh, he just sounds so bad in it. Well, she sings um she sings Let It Go in the show. Yeah. She has a good voice. She's really good. Yeah. There's just do something wanna, about Do you want to intro our show? Oh. Yeah. Hey everyone. Oh, this the, we'll we'll keep this in. Hey everyone. There's a it's um it's episode 18 um of Fool's Gold Friday hour and that means that this episode is uh for adults only. You must be 18 years old or older to listen to this one because yep. it's going to get pretty going to get mature. Yeah. Mature content, ahoy. My name is Tom. And I'm Zach. And we host this. Yes, we do. This episode, uh, we were planning on doing a proper Christmas special. Uh, looks like our schedules are going to be a little too crazy to do that. Uh, we had teased that this episode was going to be our official, maybe not yearly review, but at least our our official current review of Richard Curtis's Love Actually, which I think we're still planning on getting to in this episode. Um, but it's also just our 2022 uh, Christmas extravaganza. No special guests, as far as I know. Tom might surprise us later, um, but uh, I don't think he will. Any any guests that I would surprise you with would also be a surprise to me. Understood. Tom, in, since last we spoke, uh, I saw Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans. Did you get a chance to see The Fablemans yet? I have not seen, nor do I have a great interest in no you don't why is that i don't know i just doesn't seem like my kind of hoedown you don't want to see um uh paul dano as just like a disappointed father i mean i'm not a huge paul dano guy you don't want to see seth rogan as like the fun uncle i did not know seth rogan was in that movie he's in the movie he's all right in it seth rogan has done better in dramatic roles than he is in the Fablemans, but he's still pretty good in the Fablemans. Seth Rogen's best work is The Disaster Artist. He's good in that. I don't love that movie. Um, I think the the Greg Sestero book of Disaster Artist is really good, and I felt like the the movie tried a little too hard to be just maybe didn't try too hard to be anything. Just tried to turn that book into a Seth Rogen James Franco comedy. Sure. When it was kind of ridiculous enough as it was. I also saw 
Banshees of Inisherin, which I know we had talked a little bit about on the show and is currently in my uh, top three of the year, I would say. I respect that. It's uh, very good and uh, is now on HBO Max uh, okay. for those who didn't get a chance to see it on a big screen. It is it is a much it's still a very funny movie, but it's a lot less um, abrasive as um, a lot of Martin McDonough stuff. But it is and it's a little it can be a little bleak and a little sad, but uh, I still had a, a delightful time with it. Um, Tom. Yeah. Where what is what is Christmas to you right now? What is Christmas to me? Um, yeah, so a few things. You don't have to get super philosophical about it. You can just say like, what 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 do you like to do mm-hmm. with Christmas? Is it like a thing that you still are like? I mean, if you ever were like really excited about it, like what's 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 it look like? Yeah. Um, I think what's interesting to me is that this year more than any other year i have no i don't want to be like i have no holiday spirit but i'm not like feeling christmas energy or christmas vibes <laughs> this year more than any other year and i there's a few reasons for that one i'm no longer in school so it's not like a pending christmas break that is coming up sure um and then two there's just been some life circumstances that have caused um i don't know christmas to lose a lot of its sort of importance and meaning in my life sure uh i also now have a lot of really close friends who have been really interesting experiencing the month of december with my friends who are jewish and just it being i don't know it's just it's been a really interesting season for me to just like kind of be with them when they'll be like oh happy holidays and then there'll be an aggressive person's like it's merry christmas like to their faces and they're just like okay the war on christmas is interesting to me because i i firmly believe that it it's a Mm non-issue but it it has become and it it, this is someone who grew up in a not in a house that was firmly like grr they're making us not say christmas anymore but was surrounded by a lot of media and other people who were like that um and and it it really seems like i feel like happy holidays was trying to be happy holidays is like an all not even like on a political level but just like it there's a lot of stuff that happens in november and december and it's easier just to throw all of that together and i feel like that was probably the initial thing for happy holidays and then once people uh, once like a certain section of the population was like, yeah, but Merry Christmas, though, it kind of took on that sort of it kind of became what they didn't want it, what they what the Merry Christmas people wanted it to be. And which it is just now like all this like thing. I don't know if I'm being clear and I might know. No, it makes sense. Episode, and it's but... it's just like a weird. Um, It's been interesting like being I was getting uh falafel with one of my friends and he the the waitress was just like what are your plans for Christmas and I was like oh I'm I'm going down to see my family um it's you know blah 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 and then my friend was just like oh I'm I'm Jewish so we celebrate Hanukkah so I don't really have Christmas plans but this is out of my holiday plans um 
And then uh, the waitress was like, well, I always tell my kids that even though I don't and we don't believe or support Hanukkah or Kwanzaa, we can still say happy holidays because New Year's is right there too. And the way she said it was like as if she was doing him a favor. Uh, it, it, it's it's like a posturing almost. Like, yeah. Well, I, I don't agree with you, but you should still like me sort of right. thing. And then it's just, it's just been, I don't know, it's been really interesting having, yeah, having Jewish friends and having some, I have, I have a number of friends who aren't religious and they're just like, yeah, every December is just kind of like, propaganda for a month that we deal with because they're like there's no other time of year where pretty much anywhere you go they are playing overtly christian music um sung by uh oftentimes secular artists too so right and and they were like it's just something that we deal with and like we just it's just like a weird like thing that happens once a year so my relationship what christmas is to me now is this strange sort of hodgepodge of feeling, I don't know, wanting to be like, I guess an ally to some extent to a lot of my closest friends, but also like, I don't know. I have, I have Christmas traditions. I look forward to with my family that I'm going to enjoy. And I don't, uh, this might be coming from a a place of ignorance or privilege, but I don't see why those two need be pitted against each other. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think, I think you're right. They, they're not pitted against each other. It's more of just like a weird, I don't know. There's also like not been a lot of snow. Mm-hmm. It's just, it doesn't really feel like it's Christmas. Um, sure. And the magic of the season just hasn't hit me yet. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. Who could say? Who could say? Well, I am thoroughly snowed in right here, Tom, looking out my window. We got a good, good patch that fell last night and it's been, often on freezing rain throughout the entire week. So uh, it's very wintry here, at least. Um, I don't know. Uh, working in the situation I I do, Christmas is very much kind of shoved in your face, whether you like it or not. And also, and that's fine for me. I, I like Christmas. Um, and also, it's just like it is an extremely busy time of the year. So uh, I, I don't feel like I can just sit down and enjoy it as much as i i often used to be able to especially like during college where um you would do finals and then you would get off and go home and there would still be like a week to go so you had a solid chunk of time right uh to really be in it and now it's 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 all around me now but it's it 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 not that it has less meaning, but it just I don't get to enjoy it as much as I normally would. Yeah. So I don't I don't know if my feelings have um have changed in any way towards it. It's just that I really wish I could, you know, just slow down a little bit. Yeah, I've just found myself for some reason this year, though, I'm not like itching to listen to Christmas music. And I'm not like there's a lot of things that I'm not like. I'm excited to see my family. I'm excited to have them open what I got them and like see their reactions to it. But I'm not, I myself, I'm not like, I don't know. It is yeah. what it is. Yeah. And I just have to learn to live with being, I did. I mean, I watched them up at Christmas Carol the other day. Um, as is my custom and tradition, it still holds up. It's a great movie. Yeah. I watched that. I watched that last week. I had a great time with it. Uh, the Disney plus 
Muppet Christmas Carol, if you look under the extras tab on Disney Plus, they have the extended version with the musical number that got cut out of the original. The love version. is gone. With love is gone. It is really good and is like provides a really nice like even like lower moment um, in the Christmas past segment than you get in the original. So and it makes the movie make a little more sense. Um, yeah. Because they, because, they, because the movie ends with them singing "The Love We Found." Yeah, um, and it's the same tune, so it's like a recurring motif. But you miss the the establishment of it. Speaking of Christmas movies, Tom, yeah, the main event. Yeah, we're gonna talk about Love Actually. Right away, I want it to be known that uh, this director has another movie called About Time that is one of my favorite movies period and also probably my favorite rom-com um it's very good richard curtis uh a british filmmaker who is known for uh a lot of rom-coms uh he wrote and directed about time which you talked about i actually haven't seen about time tom i know we've talked about that before and i know you don't like the fact that i haven't seen that it's just super good the Bridget Jones movies he did yesterday about uh, the Beatles not existing. This is something I just learned, Tom. He wrote the script for Steven Spielberg's War Horse. That is fascinating to me. And he also, he co-wrote it. And he also wrote the Vincent Van Gogh Doctor Who episode. That I didn't know. Which I did not know until really recently, upon researching for this movie. Which, for those of you at home... Vincent Van Gogh, Doctor Who episode, I would say top five Matt Smith episode for sure. Potentially top five New Who episode. It is very good. I rewatched a lot of Matt Smith episodes fairly recently for unrelated reasons. And um, a couple things I learned. One, um, a lot of that period of Doctor Who does not look good on a 4K TV. And two, um, the stories in the Matt Smith episodes pretty good matt smith for me i i really enjoyed him as a high schooler and like as a middle schooler not not really doing it for me anymore matt smith interesting i haven't revisited matt smith's run since he left so i don't know if i can speak to that i just have very fond memories of the van gogh episode uh i was watching through all of the uh the river song episodes i see um, which is a good chunk of the second season that Matt Smith's in, and a, a, I mean, a quarter of the first season. Do you want my hot take? Go ahead. The best River Song episodes of Doctor Who uh, do not involve Matt Smith's Doctor. This is one hundred percent correct. Because one hundred percent correct. Because the David Tennant episode is incredible, but the Peter Capaldi episode is maybe the best river song content yeah yeah and it's a christmas episode too mm -hmm. um so love actually yes is a british christmas anthology rom-com follows multiple um uh relationships in london in the early 2000s um well not all in london and not all of them are romantic um but Richard Curtis is known for writing rom-coms. It has an all-star cast. Um, and uh, 
Tom Ward, how do you feel about Love Actually? What What's your history with Love Actually before we jump into it? Yeah, my first viewing of Love Actually um, was on a small laptop crammed on a couch with four other people, four people on a three-person couch. Um, and it was really hyped up for me. And I remember I was at an age where I was impressionable enough that, like, I think I would have been in late high school, very early college. I was impressionable enough that because of the respect I had for the other people on the couch with me, I wanted to like it um, because they all loved it. So I I liked it. And it's basically entirely possible that I did really like it. Upon a second viewing, I was like, oh, parts of this are a little problematic. But on the whole, it holds up. On the third viewing, which was the one I did this past week, I think most of it is problematic. However, I think most of love is problematic. So maybe, just maybe, love actually gets it right. Um. Yeah, uh, I I I saw Love Actually maybe freshman sophomore year of college. I was familiar with a good deal of it, uh, just because I have a weird brain that like n- loves knowing what things actors were in. Um, so uh, I had probably seen the <laughs> I had probably seen the uh, the Ang Lee. Um, Emma Thompson, Hugh Grant, Sense and Sensibility. And I was like, oh, these all these people are great. What else were they in? And then would have stumbled across like the IMDb page for Love Actually at some point. Uh, didn't watch it in full until maybe freshman, sophomore year of college. Did not like it the first time. Um, probably a year, maybe two years after, decided to revisit it. Uh, liked about a third of it. And then watched it again. Uh, this week and um, I'm pretty much still in that that zone Um, is there a storyline in this movie that you what's one that you really like and what's one that you really hate in this this movie Tom Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna run through all of them I have I have some notes taken as to every storyline as far as I can remember yeah I think so I really like the opening and ending narration where it's people at like airports. I, the, I know that's not a storyline, but that's, that's the highest point of the movie for me. Sort of the montage of real people connecting um, with, I believe it's with, 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 with I believe some, yeah, who's the who's narrating it with some, and some like decent insight onto and into what love is. Um, now there are, there are good, shows like the netflix show that's just entitled love starring um jillian jacobs and uh all right Russ. and there's modern love on amazon which i think both do what i believe love actually is trying to do better hmm. which is to kind of show a nuanced um not your typical rom-com of like 
they all lived happily ever after happy ending or like um love isn't complicated or like we had a fight we walked away then he came back to me and you know, like not your stereotypical standard cookie cutter sort of love story um i have really nothing but good things to say about modern love on amazon i have mostly good things to say about love on netflix i even have many good things to say about master of none which i think is also something that does that that walk guys i i would say master of none despite uh the aziz on sorriness of it all is is actually is a pretty good show um but again i ask favorite storyline not favorite right. storyline established you like the opening narration you yes. you you like the the overall concept of the movie mm-hmm the sto- my favorite storyline, and I think the least problematic storyline, um, is the one with Liam Neeson's kid. This is a very Tom thing of you to say. Um, Tom, you Tom's a Tom is a big Liam Neeson fan. I'm a big Liam Neeson fan. I'm a sucker for child uh, romance in a way that is so like your movie like sing street or you like just movies about kind of wholesome children like young puppy love sort of yeah yeah that is my favorite and the least problematic mm-hmm. of the storylines now specifically in that storyline you also get some of liam neeson's grief and yeah. sadness the way his storyline gets kind of tied with a bow at the end is not my favorite um at, at the very end or at like the emotional climax of that storyline at the very end when he is like bumping into the lady in the hallway and she's like oh hey oh yeah 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 so right so not not it's prior to the airport the uh, the the airport chase scene right but, which and, i'm and all the, in on i'm yeah, in the epilogue which is which is some the airport chase scene being some prime rom-com cliche stuff yes. done extremely well but yeah it's uh we'll talk about that uh least favorite a lot of these are problematic, as you as you as you established. I mean, my least favorite has to be the um, Kira Knightley and guy from Walking Dead one. Yeah, Andrew Andrew Lincoln. Yeah, I feel as though that one is not properly paid off at the end. It's the most problematic payoff. There is not much, maybe not a payoff, but a resolution. There is not a great resolution to that story. And I don't know if you can have a great resolution to that story. I also, I think the the Liam Neeson one is probably the most wholesome of the group. Um, My other, I also, I mean, I, I think Emma Thompson does some extremely great work in this movie. I think I like her. I love... Hugh Grant, I don't like his story as much. That's one of the more problematic ones for me as well. Uh, this uh-huh. movie loves, loves workplace relationships in a way that uh, I don't think is particularly healthy or or is a, a great view at, of that, um, especially that uh, I dislike, dislike the horny waiter guy who goes to wisconsin to meet chicks i yes i i hate that man and i hated every single second he was on screen um when before they officially cast 
Jodie Whittaker as Doctor Who, there were rumors that that guy was going to be the next Doctor. And although I did kind of stop watching the show anyway, I would have stopped watching it even harder if it was him. That I mean, his his thing is just like, I don't know. It's just for a laugh, and it's like, it's annoying. He is annoying, and he's the worst, yes. But it, I don't know. It doesn't, like, offend me, and it's not, like, morally or ethically repulsive to me. Um. All right, so I've got my notes here. I'm going to go storyline by storyline because I cannot fathom doing it in chronological order and trying to track how all these things interconnect. Uh, yes. Yeah, so as Tom established, there is a opening of just B-roll of presumably real people mm-hmm. reuniting at the uh, arrivals gate at airports with Hugh Grant, who plays uh, the British prime minister in this movie. Um, also, just so we, we make it clear, almost all occasions in this movie, I will refer to a character by their actor's name, not <laughs> Not their character name, because for the most part, I have no idea what any of these people's names are. Right. And he's talking about how, uh, despite what you'd believe, that love does persist in in the world. And, like, people reuniting in airports is proof of that. And, and how uh, we all should be less cynical because love is actually, love actually is all around. Uh, he does <laughs> in that in that opening narration talk about uh 9/11 in a way that that time stamps this movie pretty hard um he, he claims that uh that the messages that were coming from the hijacked planes like through the through phones to like loved ones were messages of love not those of hate or fear which i think fear's got to be in there somewhere um and it is just also just like hey i'm going to talk about this nice thing and let me also talk about 9/11 uh, from there, I have... That's what I always try and do when I am talking about nice things. Yeah. I always try and just make sure I pepper a little bit of 9-11 into anything nice I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so, the first storyline I have here is the Bill Nye storyline, Tom. Which, here's the thing. Probably second place. Favorite. Um, and maybe least problematic. This was this was the first t- watch I enjoyed Bill Nye's storyline in this movie. Bill I Nye, don't, I don't. Yeah, Bill Nye. For uh, those of you who don't know, is in uh, About Time and the Vincent Van Gogh episode. Yes, he's a frequent collaborator with Richard Curtis. Um, he's Davy Jones in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Uh, a great, great, uh, semi-older British actor. I believe he's in his late sixties now. Um, he plays a in love. Actually, he plays sort of like uh, I, I, I saw an interview in which Bill Nye said that his character is not based directly upon any pre-existing rock star, but he's definitely seemingly giving sort of a Rod Stewart, um, Mick Jagger sort of performance to this this character. He's sort of this sort of like maybe not. Oh, yeah. Washed up. Uh, British rock star who has uh, recorded a Christmas themed cover of a of a song and he's very cynical about it Um, and he he just doesn't give a rip about anyone or their feelings and you sort of chart him in the background of this movie as his song gets more more and more um, popular while he grows more and more like unhinged 
and uh, he, when his song finally hits number one on Christmas Eve, he is invited to his uh, to Elton John's Christmas party, which he uh, neglects to attend in order to spend Christmas Eve with his uh, manager uh, drinking and uh, partaking in uh, in some raunchy activities. Because friends can love each other, too. Yeah. So this is a, sort of a friendship love uh, in the movie. Bill Nye is really doing some great work in this um, in this in this in this movie. Uh, next up, Tom, the most maybe conventional of the rom-com plots, the uh, Hugh Grant prime minister storyline. Uh, yeah. So basically folks, relationship one. Uh, yeah. Workplace relationship. But like in a way that is. Basically, your superior, both in the workplace and in the country, um, is hitting on and trying to go out with, because he's flustered by, a very low-level, like, not not maid, but, like... She's, like, uh, catering staff. Yeah. Um, also, fun fact... The president of the United States is in this movie very briefly and is kind of rapey. Yeah, um, Billy Billy Bob Thornton as uh, a sort of like, what if George W. Bush had like Bill Clinton's like weird charisma and like lack of boundaries around women? And right, so what if what if George Bush had Trump or Biden's lack of boundaries? Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, basically, uh, Hugh Grant is the newly elected prime minister. He's sort of trying to get used to um, the way things work at 10 Downing Street, which is like the official uh, residence slash place of business for the UK prime minister. Um, and he develops very quickly a crush on uh, someone named Natalie, who is a a new hire on the catering staff uh, at 10 Downing Street. Uh, Who everyone thinks is fat, even though she's very much not. There are a lot of both inaccurate and very poor taste fat jokes in this movie. The the conception of fat, which is often bad, uh, is lobbied lobbed against Natalie many times throughout this film, and is even by those standards very untrue. Right. So. Uh, he, in classic Hugh Grant fashion, is all flustered and around her, and she she reciprocates, but she understands that oh, he's the prime minister. It wouldn't be, it really wouldn't be right to to talk to him even or like be familiar with him. Um, I didn't realize, but now that you said it, like how Bill Clintony that is. Yeah, Especially well, I mean, well I, I'm, I'll get to the president in just a little bit here. No, 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 no. I'm saying like Hugh Grant hitting on an intern of sorts is is kind of like I did not realize. Given the time of that movie, it is a veiled sort of like a little bit, yeah. And it's Natalie. It's also it's also that um that Hugh Grant has a very similar like vibe to uh, former UK Prime Minister Tony Blair, who was like often. Like him and Clinton had like a fairly friendly working relationship too, because the girl who plays Natalie doesn't look dissimilar to Monica Lewinsky. No, not not really. Uh, that that actress, uh, Martine McCutcheon, who 
besides this movie, I was only familiar with because I was in a production of My Fair Lady in college. And I, to help memorize the songs, I listened to a West End cast recording of My Fair Lady in which she played Eliza and Jonathan Price played Henry Higgins. And so the, I, that's the only other thing I've, I know her from. I've, I don't think I've ever seen her in anything else. Um, and she does look vaguely like Monica Lewinsky. Um, so the American president comes to visit. He's played by Billy Bob Thornton, uh, who is portrayed as sort of this, this sort of bully to the UK who is like pressuring the UK into like trade deals that wouldn't be good for the UK. Um, and a lot of like, uh, Hugh Grant's advisors are like, Hey, you need to stand up to this guy. Uh, cause he's, he's really not helping us very much. And, um, and he's, he's very, he's not, he's not really willing to do that until he walks out of the room to go grab some documents and he walks back into the room and, uh, the president has become very up close, very clearly to us, but maybe not to Hugh Grant, uh, non-consent, non-consensually with, uh, this this uh aid natalie and uh hugh grant responds by at a press conference nuking the special relationship between the u.s and the uk and then proceeds to fire natalie um from 10 downing street who then writes him a christmas letter yeah and so later he gets a christmas card from natalie uh, who professes her innocence in the situation. And so on Christmas Eve, Hugh Grant and a Secret Service guy, not secret, whatever the British equivalent of Secret Service are, uh, they try to find her. They have a they they know what street she lives on, but they don't know they don't know her exact address, which they should, right? Because A, she worked for them. And if you're working a government job, yeah. they for sure would know where you live. But B yeah. She sent him a letter. She sent him a letter. He's the prime minister. If the prime minister of England can't pinpoint anyone's address in the UK, I feel like that office is not working at its full power. Um, however, while he's looking for her through the streets, uh, he opens a door and is greeted by some children who ask him to sing Christmas carols for her. And he begins to sing Good King Wenceslas. And then his security guard his bodyguard starts singing it with him and his bodyguard has a very deep full operatic voice and that was one of the only jokes in the movie that i actually laughed out loud at i thought that was really funny it's a good bit it's a fun scene it, it is a, it's a fun series of scenes when um they're doing the christmas caroling and frantically looking for that scenario a lot yeah yeah, uh, he eventually finds her um, at her family's house. Her parents call her fat as well. They, uh, the prime minister accompanies her to her like nieces and nephews like Christmas play at the school, which is a sort of a convergence point for many um, many storylines in this film. I just want to reiterate that this actress is in no way fat. This actress is. Correct. Is like is as is the same size as anybody who is in Marvel movies, like Brie Larson, Elizabeth Olsen, Scarlett Johansson. Like, is just a normal sized person. 
like I guess I guess like fashion standards in the early two thousands often preferred like rail thin people, but even then, it's 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 not true and it's bad. So they converge at this Christmas play, which is a, a convergence point for many of these storylines. We'll talk about it again. Surely we'll talk about it again. Um, they make out backstage and then the curtain lifts and then they are seen by the entire audience. And so they are officially a couple. Yay. Here's my first question regarding this movie. How old do you think all of these people are? I think Hugh Grant. Um, are you asking me? Not, not in current how- day, but within within the context of the film, how old do you think some of these people are? Okay, but again, are you asking me how old was Hugh Grant when they filmed this? Or are you asking me how old? How old is Hugh Grant's character in this film? I think early 40s. Early 40s. How old do you think his love interest, Natalie, is? Mid to late 20s. That seems about right. That is in, I mean, I don't, I'm not one to criticize age gaps among hopefully responsible adults. Mm -hmm. But that is, that is a weird pairing. I feel specifically for the prime minister of a country. Yeah, prime minister of a country. Uh, so uh, that that is one of the big storylines. There are a few bigger storylines. The second one I have here is the Colin Firth storyline, which is isn't as problematic, but I don't think is quite as engaging as the rest of the other storylines are. It only becomes problematic. At the very end, the rest, like the first three quarters of the storyline are actually pretty good. Uh, I'll allow you to speak on that when we get to it. Um, so Colin Firth, uh, we first see Colin Firth. He's attending a wedding of two other characters in this movie that we will talk about. Uh, uh, he is the audience assumes us to realize that he is a, a friend of this couple or at least one of them, and that is why he was invited to the wedding. Uh, he returns from the wedding to find that his girlfriend, or his wife, I don't know if it's made super clear, uh, is cheating on him with his brother. Uh, and so he promptly uh, takes a vacation to France, where he, uh, I think he owns a cottage or something, uh, and uh, begins writing a book. At which point he uh, uh, falls in love with his uh, cleaning lady, who is not French, she's Portuguese, and can neither speak fluent French or English. Uh, and so we sort of get this sort of cute, this cute sort of relationship in which they they are trying to communicate with each other, but they cannot speak each other's language. This is technically a working relationship as well, though. She is his employee. Yes. Although it's a little different in my head, because I could maybe misunderstand this. But I feel like, I mean, she is his, he is paying her, but I don't know if he pays her directly. In that my understanding would be like, if I hired a cleaning service to do my house, and then they sent, uh, I don't know, like he didn't like go on Indeed, for instance, and be like, I'm going to hire this specific person. He, didn't, he, he did not hire her with the sole intent of romance or whatever. She was right. I also don't rehired think he, when he arrived. Right. And it wasn't like, I don't think he did a job interview. Like he had no, he was not part of the hiring yeah. process. I, I, it actually might be that he's renting this cottage from someone and like the landlord hired her. Right. 
I think that's actually the way it's established in the movie. I might have misrepresented that. Um, So basically he gets back. So they they have a a few little things in which um, he tries talking to her while they're driving and she can't understand him. And then uh, he's riding outside and then the wind blows his paper into a pond and then they both swim to to find to to retrieve the papers and then uh, sort of talk about what his book is about. uh as they dry off um eventually he returns to the uk after a semi-tearful goodbye with her um and uh begins taking language classes to learn portuguese so he can return to her and assumably better communicate with her but by the time christmas eve rolls around uh he realizes that this is the person he wants to spend the rest of his life with and uh, returns to France uh, to propose to her, uh, in which there is a scene in which he first finds her family in a very similar situation to the Hugh Grant storyline. She is not with her family, and so he parades her family through the streets of this French town trying to find her, and they eventually find her working at a restaurant. uh, And so he proposes in front of the entire restaurant's clientele and the extended family of this person uh in the restaurant and she says yes and then they both come back to the uk uh what is your sort of problematic take here tom so i think it's just a nice touching cute like cliche storyline until yeah that end when because her family has a lot of derogatory things about their daughter and her and like Mm -hmm. there's a weird like buy our daughter situation yeah it, it has this weird sort of like, uh, like foreigners are weird sort of take to it at the very end, right? But um, prior to meeting her family, it's all generally speaking, I'm okay with. Sure. Um, there's a there's a couple fat jokes near the end of this one as well, regarding right. uh the the cleaning lady's sister next i have uh the horny waiter guy which is a very short story uh kind of just like a insert thing that helps transition between other elements of the story basically there's this uh there's this waiter who works at a wedding that's attended by a few characters at the beginning and also like delivers food to an office that a few other characters work at um in this um he complains to his friends that he's just not getting enough action here in the uk and if he moved to america or even just went to america he would get with so many more girls because his english accent would work for him and so he uh rents out his apartment to pay for a ticket to milwaukee he flies to milwaukee on christmas eve uh sets himself up in a bar uh in milwaukee and immediately meets four American women played by uh, Alicia Cuthbert, January Jones, and two other people who I'm not super familiar with. One of them who has a terrible Texas accent. Uh, like, a, this is a really bad attempt at a Southern accent, uh, which you don't hear until the very end of the movie. Um, and mission accomplished for him. And I think, personally, Tom, not only is this guy extremely annoying to me, there's no joke 
to this, this story, everything goes exactly as he wants it to. There is no joke is to laugh at his success because it's at the expense of America. I mean, the fun, the funniest bit is how immediately horny for him. All these women are as soon as he's, he touches down in the U S right. That is, that is the funniest bit in, in this storyline, everything else about it. Like there's no like actual conflict. There's no like subversion. It's just, it just works in exactly how he wants it to work. And I guess that could be seen as some sort of subversion, but not in a particularly interesting way for me. That's one. My other le- less favorite storyline, because it makes me uncomfortable, and Tom knows exactly what I'm about to talk about. The porn? There's another. Is it even porn? It just. It seems like I don't know if it's a if it's a porn. So this is uh, Martin Freeman and uh, Joanna Page, who I was not familiar with, but I looked her up, and she plays Queen Elizabeth the First in the Doctor Who 50th anniversary episode. Uh, we're really just tying everything back to Doctor Who here. Um, our our stand-ins on a film set. It might be a porn set. It might be a normal film that is shooting in the UK. Um, and uh, they are asked to simulate the sex scenes in the thing so they can get the lighting right. And so it frequently throughout the movie, we cut back to these two people, some sense of flagrante delicto. Uh, and they're just having casual, like small talk conversation as you would with like someone who you met, but have some amount of attraction to. And uh, at the end uh, they get together and it's nice, but it's, it's, it just seems like it's shock humor to me. Like there's, there's not much of a joke here either, except they're naked. It's a commentary on sex, Zach. Please, please enlighten me, Tom. It's a commentary on how the act of sex is something that for many people is deemed as this sacred, um, holy, special act that is to be shared Um, When in reality, I mean, any two yahoos on a movie set or any, I mean, any two monkeys can take their clothes off and have sex, but to like share your life and your deepest desires and values and hopes and dreams and fear to be truly naked. So Martin Freeman and and Joanna Page, they're they're naked and they're having this like fake sex and it's it's not important because what is important is when they actually are vulnerable to become naked yeah yeah okay you're reading a lot more into this than i think is is it wants you to but i guess that is technically a take i if i ever watch this again i'll try to keep that in mind and see Uh see Uh how how it's up uh, next up is uh, Tom's favorite part of the movie, uh, Liam Neeson. Uh, Liam Neeson plays a widowed man uh, who is friends uh, with Emma Thompson's character, who we will get to just a little bit. I thought they were um, siblings. No, I believe they're friends. Oh, I thought it was it like a make, it w- They have a very brother-sister relationship, but I don't think they're brother and sister because Emma Thompson is Hugh Grant's sister in the movie. I always thought they were related. 
No, no, they're, I think they're friends. I, I think she might have been a friend of his wife that he lost. I might be wrong about that. Emma Thompson and Hugh Grant are siblings, and their sister is Liam Neeson's dead wife. I do think that they are all related. Hmm. But it's Emma Thompson is his sister-in-law. That might yeah. be it. I, I it would might have also be completely wrong. You don't see Hugh Grant at the funeral for Liam Neeson's dead wife. He was prime minister. Busy. I'm sure a prime minister would make time to attend his sister's funeral. Maybe he's a bad brother. He might be a bad brother. So Liam Neeson has a, uh, has a young stepson who is the, the child of his dead wife. Uh, and uh, he, because he's not particularly close with his stepson, but they're both, they both lost the same person there. Uh, he wants to help his stepson get over his grief. However, that endeavor um, soon becomes a, a shared endeavor to uh, help this young boy uh, talk to his crush at school. And so um, Liam Neeson, they, they, they work through a couple theories and they come up with the, the theory that uh, uh, girls love musical instrument like musicians and the boy should learn a musical instrument that he can play at the Christmas show to impress his crush. Um, which is what is, what it, which is what they do. And so, um, they, they are at that Christmas, uh, thing that we talked about earlier. Uh, his crush sings, uh, all I want for Christmas is you, which I didn't realize was already like a 10 year old song at this point. But she's going back to America over Christmas break, and he doesn't get a chance to talk to her after the Christmas show. So Liam Neeson takes her to the airport where he chases her down, breaks through airport security in a frankly distressing situation, especially in a movie that is established to be post 9-11, and gets a kiss on the cheek from the girl before she flies away. But the reason it's post 9-11, Zach... Is because this storyline too has a deeper meaning and is a deeper commentary on security in airports in a post 9 11 world. The, the real deeper meaning here is about uh, the love between a father and son, even if they aren't blood related. It is a love but story between also, father and son more than it is between the kid and his crush. Yeah, but it's also about airport security. That, uh, that might be true. There's only one scene that, to establish that. But I, I am surprised at the end, in the epilogue, that they let Liam Neeson and his kid back into the airport. Yeah, that <laughs> is true. To, to, to greet his crush when she returns. Um, also, near the end of this storyline, uh, Liam Neeson, who has told his son multiple times that the only way that he'd date another person was if Claudia Schiffer, who was like a famous model in the early 2000s, were the person who he uh, who he falls in love with. And then at the Christmas show, he meets a mom who is played by and is looks exactly like Claudia Schiffer. And so that's the joke is that he finally found that person. Wait, isn't Emma Thompson at the airport with him at the end waiting for that girl? No, Emma Thompson is there because her husband was because Alan Rickman right. was away. Because they all end up at the airport. Okay. Never yeah, mind. and it, it, okay. it's not super clear 
we'll talk about it. It's not super clear if Alan Rickman was away because like it, it was like a separation or if it was like he had a work trip or something. Right. Uh, and so that that's that one. We have the Laura Linney storyline next. How do you feel about the Laura Linney storyline? Um, I feel very neutral. Okay, this is the, maybe this the one of the sadder ones in the thing. So Laura Linney uh, is an American working in London for a design company, uh, which is run by Alan Rickman, who is in a storyline that we will get to in just a little bit. Um, she's also in the UK because her brother lived in the UK and he has had a mental breakdown and has been committed to a facility in the UK for that. And so she has moved to the UK to be closer to her brother at this graphic design, maybe not graphic at this design agency. Um, she has developed an infatuation with her coworker, Carl, yet another workplace relationship. Uh, and Alan Rickman who is her boss notices this and encourages her to act upon this infatuation, which is bad advice knowing what we know about Alan Rickman's character in this movie. Well, but um, also like I respect a boss who is down to be your wingman. Yeah. So at a Christmas party, not the Christmas show, a Christmas party that is also a little bit of a convergence point for a few characters. Um, Laura Linney, uh, asks uh dances with and sort of gets asked out by her crush her coworker crush and uh they almost hook up but then she receives a call from her brother in the institution so she has to cut their little fling short to go be with him and that relationship the relationship between her and her crush is never fully realized again and it's a little bit less about their relationship and more about the love between a brother and sister especially a brother who is mentally ill and a sister who uh, is his support system. I also feel like the guy who she wants to be like, I feel like he's not very understanding of that situation. I don't think he knows. It's not made super clear to him. He just comes across uh, as somebody who I would not like. Gotcha. I, it's, it is not my favorite story because I feel like it is it's not given enough time to be as as clear about a few things as it should be. And it's also a bit of a bummer in the um, in the grand scheme of the movie. Uh, and it's also pretty short. Uh, next up, Laura Linney also attends the wedding, as Colin Firth does, of Chiwetel Ejiofor and Kira Knightley's characters. Um, who are the next storyline, including Andrew, as long as well as Andrew Lincoln, uh, who plays Chiwetel's um, best man. Um, uh, so they get married. Uh, Andrew Lincoln's got a camera and he's videotaping the whole thing. Why? Why, why is he right. videotaping? Apparently not. We, we we see we know one that there. It's established that there is a videographer and photographer at the wedding that are not Andrew Lincoln. Um, there are, he is the best man. He's part of the wedding party. He has a job to do. Mm -hmm. He has already set up a couple big surprises for the wedding itself already. He does not need to be videotaping the festivities. We understand what he is exactly shooting later on in the storyline, but there is no good reason for anyone to just walk up to him. There's no reason for 
anyone to see him standing at the front of the chapel holding a camcorder during the wedding. Correct. 100% correct. He is he is not he ain't he ain't doing it right. Um so uh Andrew Lincoln after the wedding which he has orchestrated a flash mob at the reception Laura Linney clocks that Andrew Lincoln is in love with Kira Knightley and she asks him about it and he's just like hey don't talk to anyone about this. And one of the more um one of the more heavy-handed sort of plot setups in the movie. Um and then later Kira Knightley calls Andrew Lincoln because uh, her wedding video didn't turn out quite the way she liked it. And so she wants to see the footage that Andrew Lincoln shot because he inexplicably was carrying a camcorder with him for the entire wedding. Very um, obviously. Very obviously. Um, and so she just shows up unexpectedly at his apartment and watches through the footage, which she realizes is mostly just of her. And she realizes that although he is her husband's best friend, he is in love with her. Um, and it's sort of like this sort of world shattering uh, thing for her. We don't see much of e any of those characters. We we the Christmas party that Laura Linney attends is held at the art gallery at which Andrew Lincoln works. I just backtracking for full yeah. effect. He creepily was filming somebody without their consent. Yeah. To do who knows what with those yeah. videos. Yeah. In, in broad daylight. And people knew that he was filming. They were going to ask what he, for what he shot, no matter what. And when like, it's an earth shattering thing that she realizes she's in him, but she's not like, she's not upset. No, she's more just shocked because she didn't realize it before because he treats, he treats her sort of coldly. Um, because his best friend is in love, it mer is married to her, uh, which leads to like the most probably the most iconic, most remembered part of the movie, in which he shows up at her house with large cue cards, uh, professing silently professing his love for her, even though he knows that she'll likely just stay married to Chiwetel, and she kisses him, but she also just she returns home, so adultery uh not gonna happen apparently at least not or yet. adultery pending adultery pending who knows um and yeah that's that one the last big she also presumably didn't tell her husband yeah that he only was filming her and that he was super into her and then she like also goes along with not being like oh hey honey your boyfriend or your your best friend our best man at our wedding is at the door professing his love to me let me go kiss him well he tells her he has a boombox that he's carrying and he plays christmas carols and he tells her to tell her husband that it's christmas carolers or as they say in the uk carol singers right but but she agrees to do that yeah she doesn't immediately see the person who was creepingly filming her and is uh, very obviously obsessed with her on her doorstep. And she doesn't immediately like scream or shut the door or call the police or at least call her husband to help handle the situation. Correct. Last big storyline of the movie, which is the Alan Rickman, Emma Thompson storyline. 
which is one of the ones that I like. It is it is one of the sadder ones in the movie, but I can't fault the charisma of Alan Rickman or Emma Thompson. And so uh, Alan Rickman runs the design agency that Laura Linney works for, and he has a sort of flirtatious relationship with his assistant, yet another workplace relationship. They love these in that movie. And, but he's married to Emma Thompson, and they have a couple kids. And so, uh, and Emma Thompson is the sister of the prime minister and is at least friends, if not in-laws with Liam Neeson. And so uh, at the Christmas party, she witnesses uh, her husband, Alan Rickman, and his assistant sort of dancing uh, in, an, in, in a way that is inappropriate for a boss and employee. But she she sort of shuns those thoughts. And then uh, when the two of them go Christmas shopping, Alan Rickman goes to buy his assistant uh, a, a gold necklace and has uh, some Rowan Atkinson shenanigans with the jewelry store clerk who is played by, you guessed it, Rowan Atkinson. And who may or may not be an angel in this yeah, movie. Yeah, it, it, is, it is up in the air if he is some sort of divine presence. Um, and Rowan Atkinson takes a very, very long time to wrap the gold necklace. And so Alan Rickman does not end up purchasing it at that time. However, he does return to the store to get the necklace at a later time. And Emma Thompson finds it in his coat and assumes it's for her for Christmas. Cause it's a Christmas movie. Uh, however, on Christmas Eve, when they're doing the traditional one present opening on Christmas Eve, she picks up a box that she assumes will be the, the jewelry box in which the Netflix is contained, and it is revealed that it is a pretty good Joni Mitchell album, yet not good enough to replace a gold ne- necklace that she now knows is going to uh, Alan Rickman's assistant. This leads to an extended scene, which is maybe one of my favorites in the movie, which is just Emma Thompson crying in her bedroom while... Uh, Joni Mitchell's version of Both Sides Now, which is a banger song, a great, great song, makes me cry every time I listen to it, oh. is playing. So I was crying with Emma Thompson while that was happening. Except I realized Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman don't have pillows on their bed. That is the yikes. There's no pillow. It is a flat surface. There's blankets and there's nothing else. There's a mattress and blankets and nothing else. There are no pillows on their bed. Do they not? Is that like a conscious choice for them? Maybe, maybe there's like a pillow drawer that they open every night and get their pillow out. There is a way to decoratively arrange pillows on one's bed that is still usable functionally. I feel like the set dresser just didn't realize that the pillows needed to be there. Alan Rickman notices that Emma Thompson is in emotional distress, but isn't quite sure why. Nevertheless, they go to the Christmas play that her children are in, uh, at which also the prime minister is there and um, her brother, the prime minister, is there. And Liam Neeson and his child are also there. Her brother-in-law. Could be his bro- her brother-in-law. I am not sold on that theory. So at which uh, Emma Thompson is made aware of her brother's workplace relationship with his subordinate. Uh, and is totally okay with it, um, and uh, confronts Alan Rickman about him possibly cheating on her, uh, and uh, is just it, it claims that he has made a fool of her, 
and she doesn't know what to do about it. However, for the sake of their kids, he still spends Christmas with them. Although it is later established that he does take a trip within a month out from Christmas. So, because at the epilogue, um, uh, I have, I have here that, um, the song God only knows is in the movie, which is a great beach boy song. It's one of my favorites. I don't feel like this movie deserves the, to be able to use that. In the epilogue of the movie, everyone meets up again at the airport, even including Liam Neeson and his kid, who should not be allowed back in after the stunt that they pulled. Colin Firth and his Portuguese wife, girlfriend, I don't know if they actually got married in that time, uh, arrive and uh, talk to Andrew Lincoln, Keira Knightley, and Chiwetel because they're friends. And although that's only referenced once in the film, and the relationship between Andrew Lincoln and Kira Knightley and Chiwetel does not seem to have changed at all. There's no. It seems like it's just like a dirty little secret that. Yeah. Yeah. Liam Neeson's kid, who is played by Thomas Brody Sangster, who we did not talk about by name, the perpetually young elf like Thomas Brody Sangster, who is 31 in real life. He was probably 10 or 11 in the movie. And has not changed a and whole lot in that time. Is in Doctor Who. He is in Doctor Who as well. In a very uh, good episode. Correct. I think it's a two-parter that he's in. It is. Um, he, uh, the kid and his crush reunite. And Alan Rickman returns from some things. Not clear whether it was like a, a separation or if he had like a work trip or something. She gives him a hug, though, right? I'm she does like. give him a hug, but you can tell that like their relationship needs... If, they're, if this relationship is going to continue, they need to work through some stuff. And then that's... that's uh, uh, oh, uh, the Prime Minister returns from, I'm sure, some sort of diplomatic trip, maybe to repair stuff with the U.S., I don't know. And uh, Natalie, his love interest, rushes through the crowd and jumps on him. In a way that seemed like at least his security people weren't really doing their their job because she rushes. She if anyone didn't know better, they would assume she were like an assassin or like some sort of crazed sort of like person who really wants to kill the prime minister. Indeed. But again, airport security is a central theme of this movie, especially after 9-11. And, and that's the whole movie. That's love, actually. You don't need to watch it now. We we talked about it. Basically, the director is saying 9-11 wasn't necessarily an all net negative because... At least for the British. Because heightened airport security is a must. Yes, at, le at least for the British, 9-11 wasn't a, a net negative. Um, Tom, do you think you'll ever watch Love Actually again? Hmm... I think not in the next three years. I was toying with the idea that we make this a yearly tradition, like Paul Blart 2 and the, the guys that watch Paul Blart 2 every year. Then, but after watching it this year, I'm cool with us not doing that. Okay. We can find something else to do a yearly watch through of. We could do a yearly. It's got to be something comedic and yeah. stupid, not like stupid and frustrating. Yeah. There are a lot of Christmas movies that I did not 
grow up on that are considered classics. I didn't grow up on A Christmas Story. I didn't grow up on A Christmas Vacation, many of which I've seen maybe once in my life and have not revisited. So I, there are those that can do. We can watch through. How many do any other Die Hard sequels take place at Christmas? I have only seen the first three. Okay. And Die Harder and With a Vengeance do not. Okay. I know the second one at least has snow in it, but I couldn't tell if that was just like a matter of oh. geography or or if it were. I don't I like, mean, I also don't think Die Hard is like Christmas really, but Yeah, I'm not interested in in really discussing whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I feel like that's a stupid question at this point. I, I if you want it to be a Christmas movie, then yes it is. That's it's it's a completely vibes thing. If it if it has Christmas vibes to you, it can be a Christmas movie. I won't say what it is to me. Um, that said, it is playing at a theater locally, and almost every showing has been sold out. And I won't see it for that reason, because that's too many people. Well, Tom, I need you to prepare some lists for next time. My naughty and nice list? You could do a naughty and nice list. This this episode, not the episode we're currently recording, but the episode next time will hopefully allegedly be released um on january 1st and it will be our 2022 year in review uh and it's i'm thinking it's just going to be like a here's here are the things in pop culture that we really liked here are the things that maybe we didn't like here are uh, the things we're excited for for the new year a little sneak peek we don't have to talk about it in this episode but there was a barbie trailer that dropped today i'm just gonna say 2023 is gonna be a good year for the cinema and uh, yeah, so I have I have prepared just a 2022 movies ranked all 40 of them new releases that I saw. We don't have to talk about all 40 of them in that episode, but we could if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could talk about the top 20, top 10, who knows. Uh, and then if you wanted to do something similar to that, I'm working on TV lists right now. I don't know if I'm going to be able to adequately compile a music thing. Or a video games thing, but I can sure try. So stay tuned for that. Tom, do you have anything you wanted to talk about? Not really. Good night and good luck to everybody. Good night. Thanks for listening to us. For Oh, also, I guess we should say Merry Happy Holidays. Happy Holidays. Merry Christmas to those who celebrate. Uh, happy Hanukkah to those who celebrate that. Or if you're just feeling festive around this time of the year, hope you have a great time. Did you? And, and thanks for listening to us for getting close to six months now pretty close to six months we're more around four or five right now but it that's longer than the show could have been so we really appreciate it and uh as we're turning into a new year um if you so feel the desire to uh rate us on whatever podcast platform that you listen to or subscribe if you haven't already that'd be much appreciated uh just helps us see that people are actually enjoying the episodes and not just clicking play and immediately stopping listening after that. So, and in 2023, be prepared for the podcast to be different than it's ever been. That's right. Here's a little sneak peek. Mm, I'm just kidding. The sneak peek comes at the end of next week's episode. Are you going to be pushing a sneak peek like in every episode, but it's There's not in the episode. It's going to 2023 happen. fool's gold variety hour is going to be like a whole, it's a whole rebrand, a whole new show. It's going to be 
completely different than anything you've ever seen. We got that. We got that Disney Plus money. Now it's uh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be crazy. We are so excited for you guys to experience Fools Go Variety Hour 2023. Um, it's we've got a lot of really excited. Uh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be wild, and it's gonna feel like a whole new show. So if you liked this one, too bad. If you were thinking it could use a revamp, you're in luck. Yeah, that's something that will definitely happen. Ready for the teaser for that to drop after the next episode. Sure. Keep your ears open for that. Um, And we'll see you then.